Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 Internet of Things with Game Changers, one of our longest-running SAP Game Changers radio shows. And we have a very hot topic for you today, speaking a thank you to our loyal listeners all over the world who've been listening to us for, I think we're in our seventh season now, a lot of years. We're talking about the second cloud wave emerging today, delivering enterprise-scale intelligence. And there are a couple of buzzwords in there before I get to my opening monologue. Cloud, everybody's talking about it. What does it mean to you? Why should you go there? What are the benefits? What is the journey like? And enterprise-scale intelligence. Intelligence is the big word, intelligent enterprises, intelligent businesses, intelligent processes. So we're going to cover those with my two special guests today. Let me read you a quote I found from seven years ago, August 20th, 2014 to be exact, an IBM client success manager in cloud computing and cognitive technologies, quite a title for seven years ago, named Mamar Furkuen, and he wrote a blog post titled Cloud Computing and Business Intelligence, and there are our buzzwords. Let me read a little snippet. Now remember, this was seven years ago. He wrote, cloud computing serves as a repository for both structured and unstructured data, thus forming an ideal platform to provide business intelligence applications with data gathered from a whole range of devices at any time and anywhere. The flexibility and scalability of the cloud acts as an ideal complement to business intelligence activities. The democratization of the cloud is now allowing organizations that have used business intelligence with on-premises applications, on-prem we call them today, and on a limited scale to reach a whole new level, all through the use of storage, networking and tools that can sift through big data coupled with analytics capabilities. Now think about that. Seven years ago, that's what he wrote. All of what we're talking about today. So it didn't just happen yesterday. So let me give you a little more background before I introduce my guests. Yes, in the last few years, we have seen a huge adoption of cloud native applications for both edge applications and line of business functions, yielding what businesses want today. New insights, business agility, and lower IT costs. Amen to that. In addition to migrating their ERP landscapes to the cloud, to achieve these benefits, companies are adopting the latest best practices to eliminate in-house customization, there's a little respite for IT, and to bring intelligence at scale into the enterprise. Done right, what's the point of all this? It can have an immense impact on the speed, the agility, and the intelligence that companies like yours, speaking to our global audience, can tap into Why do you want to do this? Come on. You want to win market share. You want to optimize your ecosystem with your suppliers and partners. I'm going to have my guests wave for that. We are recording the video and I have the pleasure of seeing my both guests. They're smiling right now on Zoom. We have Alan Coulter at IBM. Alan, it was just happenstance that I found a quote from somebody at IBM that was so perfect for our show. So thank you for being part of IBM and being our guest today. And Christian Tiscard at SAP, he has two A's in the middle of his name, and I was telling him that that is a real word that counts for points on words with friends. Scrabble, that's all I can say. We're going to ask them for their insights on the opportunities to exploit 
as well as the pitfalls to avoid. It's not always a rosy journey. We want to find out where should you not go in this business transformation. So stick around for the next hour or so for our discussion on the second cloud wave is emerging, delivering enterprise scale intelligence. Bonnie D in the house, happy to be here. Alan Coulter, were you surprised that I found an IBM quote from 2014? What do you think? Not at all. It's, it's, <laughs> so it's, <laughs> we've been in this game for quite a long time, right? And um, and it's just interesting the fact that it's going from, you know, what was a sort of an idea or a kind of a motion a few years ago into what uh, we, we're talking about today, which is really um, driving this out at scale now to actually drive business transformation. Thank you very much. I, I was delighted when I found it. I just put in a couple of buzzwords, keywords into Google and say, find me quotes about, and this popped up and I thought this couldn't be more perfect. So Alan Coulter, it is time for you to formally introduce yourself to our listeners. Who are you? What do you do? And what does this all mean to you? Cloud, the evolution of cloud and business intelligence at scale. So talk to us about your passion for the topic. Alan Coulter, welcome. So thank you for having me here, Bonnie. Um, so Alan Coulter, um, I'm a distinguished engineer at IBM, and I'm our global CTO uh, for all the work that IBM um, does today around the topic of SAP. Uh, so um, it's a very, you know, I've been in this space for the last 25 years or so, uh, really helping customers really get the best out of this, um, you know, amazing package software, basically. Um, so why do I care about this whole topic of um, intelligence and cloud, right? So if you go back to, you know, if you look at IBM's strategy, what we really talk about is actually how we help customers embrace hybrid cloud and artificial intelligence. And, it, and it, we, we do those two things to really drive, you know, business transformation and to drive new experiences. And that's really been at the heart, Bonnie, of my journey for the, for the last 20 odd years, right? I mean, technology is amazing. Uh, but actually, it's pretty pointless unless actually it means something, okay? And it's got to mean something. It's got to really change the way in which people do work. It's got to make life better. It's got to make life smarter. And it's got to make life more connected, right? And I think the Internet of Things, if it told us anything, is actually what is the advantage in, in actually being a connected person and a, and a connected enterprise, for example, as well. So... So that's my passion, and my passion is very simple because my background is uh, unbelievably, you know, even though I'm a CTO, my, I started off as a, a chartered accountant, and by God, that was so boring that I, I had to pursue something else, right? And uh, so I went into <laughs> business, got involved in manufacturing, got involved in supply chains and procurements, and uh, it just simply gravitated myself towards SAP and then got interested in technology, right? And that's how I ended up where I'm at today, right? And, I, you know, for me, it's great because I can talk about the best of process and the best of technology to drive these new experiences in a nutshell. Thank you very much, Al. I was going to say, never step on the laugh. And we were laughing fondly because I, I will tell you, I had a, early in my radio career, I had a, a show and I had a friend who was a CPA on Long Island where I lived. And he came mm -hmm. to my radio station with me one night and I said, I want you to tell a couple jokes to open the show. And he looked at me and he said, I'm a CPA. <laughs> are, are you serious? And, yeah. and that, that was the joke. <laughs> I gave him a couple things to read. Thank you very much, Al, and appreciate that. Welcome, sure. honor to have you here and Christian Tiscard at SAP. Christian, happy to have you as well. Please introduce yourself to our global listeners. Go ahead. 
Thank you, uh, Bonnie, and thanks for having me as well. Uh, I'm a global vice president of our PNT uh, partner ecosystem. That's our technology side of SAP, which delivers all the integration and all the extension and all the data platforms that SAP offers. So I'm managing a lot of programs and working very, very closely with Alan here on a day-to-day -day basis on making sure the IBM technology and the SAP technology works together optimally for our customers. Thank you. Go um, ahead. On the background, um, I really came out in the world of, of business tw 20 years ago and now already on a process side, really, you know, supply chain optimization, thinking lean, thinking Six Sigma, which was buzzwords at the time. Um, learning very fast that you need to have a business equation, a value equation on top of it. And, and, and with an engineering background, uh, it, was, it was a journey to join SAP and become what they call a value engineer because it really matches up really perfectly a process understanding with a financial understanding and bear, thereby really driving out what is the true priorities and how do we align that to a roadmap? How do we implement it with a value orientation and so forth? And that was a successful journey for me for probably a decade. Then came in the cloud world, right? The technologies and data disrupted everything. And about 10 years ago, I basically took a shift in my career and said, I want to understand this data world. Uh, data is the new oil and, and it's going to change everything. So the last 10 years have been really focusing on understanding uh, data-driven decisions, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and add that to uh, the dimension. So it's not just a process world. It's not just a value discussion, but it's very much a, a data discussion these days? How do we get data processes to play together to optimize an enterprise with all this data that are out there in this world? And, and that is a never-ending story. And I think that will keep me busy for the rest of my career. So that's where I am. <laughs> long career. Wishing you a long and happy career. Mm. Thank you. Yes, yes. And data, speaking of data, data structured, unstructured, where is it? Is it in a lake? Is it in a river? Is it in a sea? Is it in a swamp? <laughs> It's coming at us faster and in and more volume and velocity, as we used to say, where there are three Vs, remember? I think that was an IBM coin turn decades ago, the three Vs of data. And if we're talking about jobs and, and opportunities to harness data for businesses, it, it will be for the rest of our careers and the people who succeed us in those careers because data is information that's actionable and it's all around us. What are we going to do with it? So thank you both for your introductions. I appreciate that. Let's go to the part of the show where I've asked my guest to send me a quote from a fictional character from a movie or a TV show or from a song lyric. And we've got some really good ones today. Alan Coulter has selected a quote stated by Professor G. H. Hardy, played by the actor Jeremy Irons. The movie is The Man Who Knew Infinity, 2015 British biographical drama film. And it's based on a 1991 book of the same name by Robert Canigal. And the film stars Dev Patel as Srinivasa Ramujan, a real-life mathematician who, after growing up poor in Madras, India, earns admittance to Cambridge University during World War I, where he becomes a pioneer in mathematical theories with the guidance of his professor, G.H. Hardy, played by Jeremy Irons, as I said. Here's the quote. I love it. Everybody listen up. Mm. You can use this in real life with the interchange of one word. Change, gentlemen. It's a wonderful thing. Embrace it. So we could say change people or change ladies or change kids, couldn't we? Alan Coulter, I'm sorry, I'm having so much fun with your quote, not my job here. Alan, mm. how did you find this one and what does it have to do with our topic today? Go ahead, Alan Coulter. 
Well, I, I just love the movie, right, as well. And, um, you know, I've watched it on many occasions because it also taps into something which is really important to me, which also is like social responsibility, right? And I think the fact that a, a poor kid from India could actually gravitate towards Cambridge University, you know, for me, that speaks of what we should be achieving for in life, where we give op- opportunities to anybody uh, to achieve whatever they want to achieve in life. Um, so I think that's one thing. But I think the, the second thing is the fact that, you know, I gave you my history as well, right? An accountant in, in business going into IT. You know, I'm all about change as, as an individual as well, right? And I think change, no business can stand still in this day and age to be successful, right? So we've got to change, right? And therefore, how do we start to use these new capabilities and IoT and data and orchestration, these new business platforms to actually facilitate that change as well. So I think mm-hmm. there were so many levels in which that quote, I think, is relevant for today's conversation as well, Bonnie. Thank you very much, Alan. And w- what you said, I'm thinking we're now in late October 2021. If you go back, dial it back to March or April or May of 2020, businesses weren't thinking, how are we going to survive? They were getting bumped on the side of the head, change mm. now or you're gone. We have mm. distilleries, yeah. breweries that became the manufacturers of, of antiseptic cleaning for hand sanitizer, right? We mm-hmm. have companies that were manufacturing jars or bottles for one thing that helped to contribute to another industry entirely. So it mm. was not just change, gentlemen, change now, heck, change now. And they did. And Alan, would you say that the companies, the businesses that were already on their digital transformation journey that were digitally, shall we say, accomplished at that point, or at least aware, were the ones that could pivot faster? Well, I mean, without a doubt. Okay, so, I mean, you know, I, I think it, it, it's fair to say the fact that the ones who had embraced this this journey towards being connected, right? And actually to, to connect externally as well, Bonnie, you've also kind of, you've got to be, you know, be able to connect internally as well, right? Having, yeah. you know, just, just simply masking complexity and chaos is never a good sort of like um, a business success activity, right? So so definitely the, the, the people who could actually drive transparency, the business, the, the people who could drive a pace of change were the ones who succeeded, definitely. Thank you. Good. Glad we agree. Let's go to Christian Tiscard's quote. Christian has sent a quote. Christian, I've added a little bit to the quote you selected because I found it in the movie clip quote, and I think it was really cool. It's from the botanist astronaut character. Some people are saying, who could be a botanist and an astronaut at the same time? Well, Matt Damon played Mark Richard Watney in The Martian, 2015 science fiction film known as sci-fi. Watney in the film is one of six members of the Ares 3, that's Roman numeral 3, the third manned mission to Mars in the film. And here is the quote. I guess you could call it a failure, with quote marks around it, but I prefer the term learning experience. Yes, of course, duct tape works in a near vacuum. Duct tape works anywhere. Duct tape is magic and should be worshipped. Now, I added the duct tape quote because it was part of the line, but all all that Christian really wanted to tell us was, I guess you could call it a failure, but I prefer the term learning experience. So forgive me, Christian, but I thought it was delightful to add duct tape. So I, it was from the movie. Christian, how did you find this wonderful quote? Talk to me. Uh, I obviously saw the movie, and, and it's funny. It's also in 2015, just like the other movie from Alan's yes. side. So <laughs> it must have been a good movie year. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I kind of get inspired by the people who dares to think outside the box and, and step outside con- conformity and, and, and think uh, 100 yards ahead instead of one yard ahead. 
and 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 by doing that you obviously will come into things that you didn't plan for and you will have to adapt quickly and and that is something that humanity really does really well uh if you look at everything we have done as as you, as, as the human race it is really to adapt and and i think it's one of the key elements of what makes a human a human um, so I, I like that uh, statement because that's really very much what most of us are, are doing in life. Thank you very much. Do we have a digital equivalent of duct tape, gentlemen? I have to ask. I'm sorry. Is, is cloud going to be that worship it'll work anywhere? I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. Uh, Christian, you're smiling more than Alan is. Christian, what do you think? Is there such a thing as digital duct tape? Yeah, no, I think we're getting close to it, and and there's a, a lot of uh, direction going to it. So you and I, as business people, don't have to worry about what's behind the screen, and 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 that's what uh, we're all trying to deliver to you. Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz quote: "Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain." Remember when the curtain was pulled and everybody saw the little yeah. man with a. Alan, anything, any comment about duct tape in the digital world? Maybe I'm stretching it, but it seems like a fun thing to talk about for no, two seconds duct tape's here. Always about, yeah, duct tape is about connecting <clears throat> things together, right? Making it, making the glue, right? So I think today, in this, you know, again, we're talking a lot about today connected enterprises. So we're creating digital duct tapes all the time now. Okay, so I think we're here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you both. You're very kind. Let's go to the discussion roundtable, the formal part of our show. Alan Coulter, I've selected statement number one from what you sent me before the show. It's brief and to the point, which is perfect. I'm going to read it and then ask you to please unpack it, as they say on the news, air quotes around it if you're seeing the video. And Alan, after you unpack it, I'm going to ask Christian Tiscard to agree or disagree. Christian, Alan told me before the show he will be very nice to you, even if you disagree. So it's okay. All right, and then we'll pick a statement from Christian, and we'll unpack that, and we'll go back and forth, and let's see how much we can cover. So Alan Coulter told me the following. The reality of today, and that's what we're talking about today, is that we are shifting from ERP-centric to modularized architectures that necessitate new enterprise control points con to connect the E2E end-to-end business processes. That's a mouthful. Alan, unpack it, please. So, yeah, so today I speak to many... Uh, customers or many companies, should I say, and um, and you know the reality is, is just what I said, right? That um, when you looked at you know products like SAP when they first came out, right, they were really these big these big beasts, right? And, and companies could really run their business in this single single box, right? But um, I think through cloud, things became a bit more democratized, right? So actually, you, you know, there was, there was all of these like born on the cloud solutions, right? Um, you know, whether you're running new sales solutions or HR solutions or procurement solutions, it, you know, things that just made it, I think, a little bit easier to actually embrace, adopt, to get continuous innovation. So today, when we really are working with these companies, we see very much these hybrid architectures, right? Where we've really got the, the, the best of these ERP backbones, but also the best of these line of business, you know, applications, for example, as well, these cloud-native applications. So, I mean, a lot of my role today, Bonnie, is how do you glue that all together, right? How do you create this, 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 this internet of things? How do you create, how do you connect anything to anything or everything to everything, so that should I say? Because at the end of the day, the goal of it is actually for any like process champion. If I, if I was going back to my early days as being a in supply chain, I wanted to see the end-to-end the, the -end solution. I, I actually didn't really care 
as a business person, what was the underlying application which actually delivered the function? I just wanted to see how effective was the actual process itself. So today, using these new platform capabilities, these new solutions, you know, you, you know, it's how we join up that end to end to create, you know, a, a, a mechanism whereby we can create continuous insight, continuous benchmarking, and continuous optimization. And I think that's the goal of today, right? Which actually is how do I help customers become continuously optimized and better, be better tomorrow than they are today using these kind of like data, IoT, and other exponential technologies. Thank you very much. Very interesting point of view there. Christian, join us. Yeah. Um, I want to turn a little bit to the intelligence side. So the ERP provides immense intelligence. It's been architected and now we're architected for the cloud. But the fundamentals are still that any sales order immediately are connected to what materials are needed, what assets are going to be used, which employees will produce it, what's the cost, and, and what's the transportation mode. And, and by having that very advanced connectivity, you can optimize everything immediately with the ERP system. And that is of tremendous daily value. And a lot of people mm. don't really see it unless they don't have it suddenly. And, and that's when all alarm bells goes off. And then obviously intelligence is now also coming in with the data world, with the IoT data, the customer data, and so forth. And, and that's the next level of, of intelligence that the ERP needs to accommodate to. And, and I don't want to take all the thunder here, but, but I see those two dimensions of intelligence being very very vital for the connected enterprise. Thank you very much. Alan, anything you want to say back to Christian while I put a statement in the chat for Christian for next? Go ahead, Alan. Not really. Just, if he disagrees with me again, we'll, I'll have a word with him later after the meeting, right? <laughs> but, um, but, uh, <laughs> I'll bring the duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's true, right? I mean, it, it, there's, there's a, a phrase I always use with every, um, with every company I speak to, Bonnie, right? At the end of the day, what we're here to do is to make things simpler, smarter, and more connected. It, it really is that simple, right? I mean, we use, you know, and it's all about, you know, creating new experiences, right? So how we use automation to take work out and move work to more value orientation, how we make work simpler by using mm -hmm. things like artificial intelligence to, to augment mm -hmm. our, normal to, our normal cognitive insights. And as I say, make work, make work more connected because without that connectivity, we're just simply shooting in the dark to see where things actually are flowing. Thank you. And I'm very intrigued, Alan, you keep using the word simple, making things simpler. Is that yeah. the pervasive thought process of, let's say, the C-suite sitting at a mid-size enterprise anywhere in the world saying, yeah, we want to simplify? Or are they thinking in terms of the world of data processing? The world of data is so complex right now. How are we even going to keep up with it? Do you think simple enters into yet into that mindset, that shift? Mm. Or is it so, a future goal? You know where I'm going no, with this. No, I don't think so, actually. I mean, when I was, you know, going through my architecture certifications, right, I mean, what, what we were always told is the fact that the, the, the role of a good architect is to make complex things, you know, appear simple, right, mm -hmm. okay? And, yep. and really, I think that's a, a very strong principle that we should adhere to when we're, when we're developing solutions and capabilities for our, for, for these companies, right? I mean, you don't want someone to actually have a PhD to figure out what they should be doing in their day job every single, you know. So, so therefore, how do I take that, the kind of the function of work, and make it the most easily consumable experience yes. that, that we can actually make it, right? Because we don't want people, I mean, again, coming back to this kind of like 20 years ago, but everybody's sitting at their desk, kind of like hand-crunching data into these monolithic systems. 
I mean, how boring is that to turn up every single day and that's your day job, right? So therefore, how do I actually then create these new experiences where I'm taking that work from that very mundane to something which actually is a more value orientation? So therefore, to do that, I've got to take that complexity and take it out and just simply simplify that work. That's what I was hoping you would say. Exactly. So it is a goal. It is part of what you want to achieve, even if you're not there yet. Christian, anything you want to say about simple before I move on to one of your topics, Christian Jeskard? No, I think um, Alan uh, summarized it well. So I think uh, I would rather take uh, and talk a little more about the intelligence, which you know uh, is where my heart is with the data world that is coming on. Okay. I'm going to read your statement number four, Christian. I think this is interesting. You say on one side... <clears throat> differentiation and innovation are vital for company success. But on the flip side, so are control and compliance. Every quarter, we know, a company has to report their financial statements and be in compliance with all the regulations to maintain the license to stay in business, to operate. So let's talk about that two-sided coin of innovate and comply. How do we reconcile that? What does that have to do with our topic of second wave of cloud and enterprise intelligence at scale? Christian. Yeah. So basically what we have seen in my uh, dialogues with with customers again is they are innovating like crazy. We are doing all this new cool data stuff. We are finding new insight of our customers. We are optimizing our supply chain um, and so forth. But on the other side, we have a different force that we see coming very rapidly into place right now, which is more governance control, more policies, more reporting requirements, uh, new sustainability goals, uh, new uh, privacy statements and so forth. And, and that's a completely different force. And it actually is growing in importance for companies because if you don't comply, you are not permitted to, to operate in your country or in the countries where you're not in compliance. So we have a, a new wave of demand coming in from government bodies in order to stay uh, compliant to, to run your business. And the two can actually be merged up, uh, but but it does require that, that you have a both people in the same room because otherwise you start creating what, what we also have sometimes seen. You have an innovation group that does all the cool stuff, but it creates a nightmare of effects downstream where people have to try and consolidate what all that means and are we actually abiding to a fair standard? Are we giving a fair notice to every customer? Are we adhering to our sustainability goals? Are we adhering to our, our own policies of, 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 of doing business? And that is where we see that need from you know, the innovators, the customer-facing people, but also the back-end people need to be in the same room in order to make sure we have an end-to-end value-add and not uh, create really only half of it. And we don't want nightmares for our teammates, for the people on the other side of the room. Alan Coulter, what do you think about compliance versus innovation, control versus exciting new things? What do you see? Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, these are two, you know, I mean, they're, they're two um, not opposable functions, right? I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, every company needs to progress and transform, but at the same time comply. Right? I was having this chat the other day just on, the role of sustainability in business today, right? So obviously there's all these regulatory aspects, but at the same time we should look at sustainability also as a, as a function of business differentiation. How can I create new innovative solutions? How can I drive circularity into the, my what we do every single day, right? And, uh, and, the, and the thing about sustainability as well, it's, it's a data problem, right? Um, you, you, no company today can actually be sustainable on, its, on their own 
kind of like on, on their own enterprise, right? They've got to kind of collaborate, socialize. It, they've got to get data from inside the organization, outside the organization. Mm-hmm. It's got to be well, well engineered. It's got to be well structured. So, so yeah, I mean, for this, this is, this is a, it, it's not a new motion. It's what companies have been doing since, you know, time immemorial, right? We, we've had to comply to be in business, but at the same time, we've got to differentiate because it's the differentiation that drives, uh, I think, the bottom line optimization, for example, as well. Thank you very much, Alan. Uh, I've got another statement teed up for you, but let's get a response from Christian first. Christian, this was your topic. What do you think about Alan's reply? I think we very much agree, um, but that room of design has to be be really there. Otherwise, we really create a, a non-optimal solution where we have the, the value added in a silo, but the downside mm-hmm. is not accounted for, and and what may seem as a good business idea actually end up costing a lot more for the for the business than than imagine, and and that's where the enterprise design has to be uh, represented. Christian, is this where we would call into play something a term that's bandied about a lot called change management, where you have to sit everybody down and say, okay, this team, this department, this business unit is going to have this exciting new something or other that's going to innovate the business and bring us to another level. But by the way, the rest of you people need to understand how it's going to impact your workflow, your job, your processes. You're going to be excited, but maybe not in a positive direction right away. Is that where we need to sit everybody? down as you said uh, not in a silo and say everybody this is what's happening rather than hey guys look at the fun thing we're giving you the hell with the rest of them so <laughs> what, do, what do you think Christian is that is that something that would be important for what we we'll call cloud mindset perhaps yeah I, and I also think that's you know the, the very crux of why we have a hundred ideas and at the end of the day only five of them actually survive it's not because the 95 others were bad. They just didn't think about the whole value chain and they ended up getting killed by their own policies or their own rules or just because it was just not as, as, as great as they thought because they hadn't seen the whole picture. They just saw their little picture and, and saw it fit their world. Thank you very much. Alan, anything you want to say back before we move on? Agree? No, I think I've covered it. Yeah. Okay, good. Alan Coulter, I'm looking at your statement number five. This is interesting, taking us in a new direction here. You say we need to think beyond profit as our only purpose. We need to embrace the need to be sustainable in everything we do in the way we make, buy, ship, and consume. Businesses need to use data and insights powered by cloud, that's our topic today, to re-engineer their classic or their traditional processes to sustainable solutions. This is a whole new, I'll use the word wrinkle, on the landscape of what is a company there for? What does a company want to do? What are your future goals? What are you trying to Mm. achieve? Sustainability, Mm. I don't think people were talking about this a couple of years ago. Alan, why don't you unpack this? This is an interesting topic. Go ahead. No, yeah, for me, this was incredibly interesting, right? This this is you know, this this is you know we, we hear a lot about the 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 function of purpose. What is our role as an organisation? Um, what is our obligation to not just simply the shareholders, but what is our obligation to to the planet, right? And and what's our obligation to the environment as well, right? So we've got to be socially responsible in the way that we conduct business, okay? And um, so let me, let me give you a great example, right? So there's been, you know, quite a lot of these regulations today. And this, I think this is an interesting one where we really marry up the concept of compliance and also innovation, or I would, I would even say value amplification, right? So we've seen many 
regulations coming out, which actually as customer or, or organizations have got to, you know, really have some traceability of their entire supply chain to so the fact that they can prove that there are no human rights abuse in that supply chain. There have been laws in Germany just been passed, the UK, France, whatever. So what we're seeing now is, is a rush of organizations wanting to actually understand how they achieve that, how they move into this, this era of sustainable sourcing. Not just simply their, their own direct suppliers, but their supplier, 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 the whole supplier network tier. And it's a data problem, right? We've got to not just simply get data, but you've got to have the trust in the data. The data's got to be of good value so you can actually then, you know, you know, have that sort of empirical trust in what you are getting. Then what you can do is actually then you can use that insight, you can use that intelligence, you can turn that into a brand value. You can turn it into a brand mission and, and a brand amplification that, that me as a company, I am socially responsible. I am sustainable. I am. And what we've seen, there was, there was a recent one from uh, an IBV um, study. We have our own sort of research function in IBM. And because we know that today's consumer is almost like a new activist, right? they spend money where they believe the fact that the brands they are buying from have shared values with themselves, right? So certainly the the, the, the new Gen Z populations, et cetera, who've got their kind of the, the dollars in their pocket. So, so with these ones, they are, they are, they are, you know, they are spending their money with, with organizations who can evidence this kind of like sustainability direction. And therefore, for me, that's also a function of actually not just simply being compliant, but actually driving, you know, also, um, you know, uh, brand value and, and, and business value as well. And, and this whole topic of data, this whole topic of, of intelligence, is really kind of permeating this whole area of sustainability. How do we improve the way that we drive manufacturing processes? How do I improve my machines? Because machines today tell me everything that I want to know. Yes. Right? The machines through IoT, you know, you know, I, I, I've sensorized everything. So the machine tells me actually how much electrical consumption is being used, how much water usage is being used, you know, what gases are being e emitted, and I can control that to reduce my emissions. I can, I can influence where I buy from. I can influence what the products I make so actually they become more circular and maybe take waste out of the ecosystem. It's all about data and it's all about intelligence. And I think marrying those two things together so we end up with more sustainable outcomes which actually help humankind and help us to be a more you know, equitable you know, kind of, um, community, you know, I think this is a really great use of actually these technologies as well going forward. <clears throat> Thank you, Alan. Very interesting. I think a couple of years ago, we were blaming the M Group, the millennials, for the idea of sustainability, right? For, for mm. our company is embracing not being wasteful and not overusing resources that are becoming scarce or that mm. damage mm. the planet. We've seen that. And now it's something that is a brand value, as you pointed out so well, for so many yep. companies. Christian, join us, please. Agree or disagree? I think I know where you're going to go on this one. Christian, go ahead. Um, so... I'm actually being a little controversial here because Ooh, I, think, good. <laughs> I think our political leaders, if you take the sustainability dimension, really ought to put in a sustainability tax, which really converts into a carbon uh, tax. So if you, uh, uh, you know, produce a ton of CO2 uh, emissions, you should pay X amount of dollars. If you do that, 
uh, there will be a profitability opportunity here. You can really put a price to emissions. And if anything enterprises are good at, that is prox uh, profit maximization. So if you say you have to pay X for, for every ton of carbon, uh, then you immediately will see a whole industry, actually the whole world, turn to start mitigating the uses of carbon, uh, in my view. Um, so you, you would immediately get all the things that enterprises are good at uh, becoming sustainable for that fact alone. And, and I think you could do that in a very fast way that way. Uh, but it would require a different perspective on, on actually putting a cost on, on carbon uh, emissions. Thank you very much. The one much. thing I would say is the fact that yeah. you don't need to be, I mean, for me, that's not challenging. I mean, I mean this, this is maybe where uh, Europe meets America, right? So in Europe, you know, we, we actually have these carbon tax um, yeah. situations, right? So, so, so you know, we, we know that obviously, um, you know, the political will changes in different um, environments, you know, as we go through. But, but today, you know, in, in the EU, you know, I mean, they've been having a, a sustainability agenda for many, many, many years, right? And carbon tax obviously is, is now just simply accepted, right? So, you know, Christian, as you know, right? So we, we always build that, ta you know, that, that carbon tax, you know, you know um, minimization, not avoidance, right? Okay, but, but minimization of, of carbon tax into... Uh, the solutions that we provide for our uh, for the companies that we deal with every day now. Yep. Interesting. Going back to my, my question about change management, wouldn't you say that a company needs to have this discussion with every manager at every point in every process and say, okay, we've been looking at the bottom line on our spreadsheets, our CFO mm -hmm. and finance team is saying, hey guys, we need to boost the profitability. And all of a sudden we're saying, wait a minute, but we have to do it a better way. We have to care, right? We have to care about the planet. We have to care about people. We have to care about resources. We didn't have to think about this. As you said, Alan, it's been going on in Europe probably longer than the United States. Maybe I shouldn't say mm. that, but the mm. point is that somebody has to tell people in the company, we have different sets of priorities now. The mindset has to shift so that you know if somebody says to you, yeah, we could squeeze an extra 50 cents out of this $100 expense here on the profit line, mm, but mm, but mm. at what cost? Is that a conversation that the companies, it's going to sound simplified, but are companies aware that they need to tell their people that their mission has changed to embrace sustainability? Alan, what do you think? Is this happening? Oh, of course. I mean, definitely. I mean, I, mean I, I think in this day and age, Bonnie, we've seen you know, most companies I'm really talking with now really have a sustainability as part of their strategy, right? Now, how important that is in the overall grand scheme of things, you, you can, you know, sometimes, it, you know, you could actually challenge the, 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 um, the, 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 the view about, you know, where it sits in the kind of prioritization. But, but for most companies today, they've certainly got sustainability as a key pillar in their ambition level. And we're seeing more and more orientation to um, you know creating a purpose within the organization to look at how we do things differently okay so mm -hmm. so how we look at product engineering so actually making sure that that fact that things are more circular how do we mm -hmm. actually start to drive you know how do we make sure that we are buying from the right organizations not just simply the most profitable organization how do we make sure the fact that we're manufacturing goods and services we are reducing the carbon footprint by actually creating more local networks, for example, as well. So, so these things are, are going from just simply high fluting ideas and concepts into operational reality, okay? And 
I think the great thing that that I see, certainly working with Christian and his organization every day, is that both organizations have that common purpose as well now mm-hmm. about not just simply creating intelligent enterprises, but intelligent, sustainable enterprises. Because I think as well, I, I think there's, I think what's becoming really important as well, Bonnie, is if you look at the role of the CFO, the CFO now, and they've always been the one who's been really the catalyst for you know, business transformation or certainly in the ERP space. Now, the CFO is actually now seeing things like sustainability as being a function of business bottom line as well, right? So, so the fact that investment money today follows organizations who are sustainable, the war for talent, you know, you know we all struggle with actually people being on the ground and, and doing day jobs, etc. The war for talent is actually being driven by, you know, companies that can be proven to be sustainable or ethically responsible, and as I said, the, 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 the fight for the, consumable, the consumer dollar is also actually being driven by the sustainability agenda as well. So it's becoming incredibly important, and I think the CFOs are picking up in this every single day now to build it into the ethos of everything that we do operationally at a process level. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And I want to just speculate now based on what you said, Alan, that there will be a ripple effect if it hasn't already happened. So if you say to a supplier, we'd love to do business with you, but we don't mm-hmm. see sustainability as one of your company's priorities. So we're going to yeah, go to yeah. somebody else and they're going to say, wait a minute, we didn't know we had to be on board the sustainability train. We mm-hmm. want to continue. Mm-hmm. We So you can see the domino effect where it spreads by not just peer pressure, but by needing to come on board. Yeah. That sustain- what do you think? It's a, it's a great point, and actually we see that today, Bonnie, as well, whereas through this kind of like sustainable sourcing, right, we can actually, we give customers supplier, you know, ratings, supplier scores, but it's not to punish them. It's not to punish them, right? So it's actually how do I, using data, using intelligence, how can I tell that customer if you do these two, three things, your mm-hmm. score will go from A to B. It's like the, the old days of credit checks. Right, you yeah, know, when, you, when your credit check was A, A versus B, rather than actually punish the person, you just said, look, if you did these three things, your credit score would become X, which would allow me, which would actually get you into like a lower interest rate perspective if you're mm-hmm. taking a loan out, for example, right? So are there to motivate, not to punish these organizations? Yes. Because yes. it's all about the greater good, not punishing people just because they don't comply. Great point. Christian, anything you want to chime in on this before I move to another topic? Yeah, just the intelligence bit, right? You know, uh, we are in certainly wave two here as well, where in, in the last five years, I think everyone has a sustainability report. We, we, we do the easy stuff, which is reporting, and we have, you know, various simple programs which have already given a lot of benefits. You know, we buy more green energy, we, we use uh, less of the, the dark energy and so forth. But now we start seeing intelligence being required to really get to the next jump in, in efficiency, where we need to have data-driven insights on everything we do from we get the yeah. raw materials and maybe even 10 years after we sold it and see how it's been used so we can bring it back and re-manufacturing uh, and so forth. So you see that circular economy instead of just building new stuff always, you, you start bringing old stuff back and refurbish mm. it to be mm. reused. And that is all about intelligence. It's all about having data at a completely different level than we yeah. used to have. And, and that's where the intelligence really becomes essential to, to deliver that sustainability. Thank you, Christian. Glad you tied that in. I'm really enjoying this conversation. There are so many, we were just going to talk about cloud. We were just going to talk about processes and it has expanded into so many interesting areas that I know 
touch the mindset and the business goals and the thinking of the leaders of companies all over the world. This all needs to be important to them all at the same time right now. Christian, let's go to your statement number five. When you sent this to me, I thought this was interesting and I still do. There's a a fine tuning we're going to talk about here. You say the essential theme for many companies trying to be data driven is to decide if the new data they collect should be ingested into their processes or if they should take their processes to the data. It might be a, a fine point here, but I think it'd be very interesting to our listeners, to our viewers, if they see the video. Christian, unpack this, please. Talk to me. Yeah. Uh, so it, it has been, uh, so data lakes, big cloud and so forth, as you alluded to, has already been in the wave uh, for, for seven, eight years, right? And, and we have done the easy part, which is just pull all the data into a data lake and, and different cloud uh, vendors and, and start exploring. And now we have explored for about eight years and we can see that we can make machine learning, we can do intelligence, we can uh, do really, really cool stuff. But we also see now we are starting to create two versions of the truth. We have an ERP-centric world where we have 95% of our business running day in and day out, making sure we optimize our procurement, we pay our bills, we service our customers, we provide the reporting and so forth. And then we have an ever more big data lake out here that comes with really cool insight, but it often comes an hour late. It comes in a different format that is not the way we look at it in our scale engine being the process platform. So now we have these two schizophrenic worldviews on how the enterprise should act. And, and the real decision, if you really pro, procrastinate it into the future is, if you really want to build a shadow ERP in the data world by taking all your process data out there and build new compliance rules, new reporting rules, new data structures, new materials rules, or you actually want to use the machine learning closer to the process world where you're already running 95% of your daily decisions. And obviously, uh, IBM and, and myself are biased here, but we see more and more that companies are getting to the same point of view. I cannot make a duplicate of my world in a data lake where I have to manage every single bit. There's a purpose why I 20 years, 10 years, five years, and even yesterday made a decision to choose an ERP company because it provides so much value out of the box and give me that continuity and flexibility in the cloud world today. And therefore, I really ought to find out where's the touch point between that data and the process world. And that is the discussion we have every single day with our customers, where to put what. Very interesting. I, I think an iconic moment here. We've been having a great conversation. I believe I quote you correctly, Christian Tiscard, when you said there are two schizophrenic views on how the enterprise should act. I want you to find that in the video clip and post that somewhere. Very, very interesting. <laughs> Alan Coulter, Alan, he made you smile. Alan, would you please chime in here, agree or disagree with Mr. Tiscard? Go ahead. So the uh, the joy I have, Bonnie, is I probably hear Christian say this every single day, right? And, and, and to a lot of extent, it's probably right. I mean, what we've seen with, you know, we've seen certain behaviours where basically people just simply take, you know, the, the extract data from these ERP systems, they chuck it into these data lakes or data swamps, as I would probably call them, right? And hope for the best sometimes, right? And the, the issue that we see is by, you know, breaking that relationship between the data and the system. How do you create that closed loop mechanism? How do you then get the system to understand and learn from the data, from the insight, to then drive more optimal ways of working downstream, right? So, so you know, it is quite challenging when you take an approach whereby 
let's extract everything. And as, as, as Christian said, let's almost like create another, you know, you know, you know, ERP Mark II kind of thing, and then let's try and see where we go with this. However, the only thing I would disagree on, and it's not a massive disagreement, but but Christian's view is maybe so, maybe say too ERP centric, right? You know, as I said before at the start, you know, in this in this world of kind of like a, a higher degree of democratization of applications, not everything's in the in a single ERP backbone, right? So, so, so you know, I, I think the, the key today is actually really creating this, creating a data fabric that that has a common data model that fits the entire business, right? So everything knows what you mean by a customer. Everybody, everybody knows what you mean by supplier, irrespective of what is the underlying application system. So everybody knows what it, you know, there's that kind of common definition. There's an enterprise data model that's linked to like a, a logical model. I think that's kind of the key as well, right? But um, but uh, but definitely, uh, I think to to really maximize intelligence, you've you've got to really be close to the kind of the transactional consequence, not to decouple it into this kind of, you know, strange world of data lakes and see what happens. Thank you very much. You might get lost swimming in that lake. Christian, this was your topic. Anything you want to say back to Mr. Coulter? Um, I, I think intelligence is, is many things. Um, you know, Alan alluded to it in one of the earlier discussions we had. There's very high value in taking out mundane tasks and automate it and eliminate mm -hmm. dumb processes. That's one level of intelligence. And the next level is to start bringing, you know, data uh, across and making sure we can take optimal decisions. And the third mm -hmm. one really then becomes really to use all that data in the world. And, 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 and that is probably the only place where intelligence has different directions at the moment. I, I'm certainly not abiding that every single IoT data element should go into an ERP system. That's that's not that's not my answer yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's a, a balanced view here where where I think the final optimal architecture is still a little bit outside of, of clear uh, clear definition. Um, and, and that is also because the cloud is evolving, the ERP evolving, and the middleware technologies are evolving. Uh, so the answers that you would have five years ago is certainly different than you have today. And uh, most likely it will also be different in the future, but that's really what I think a lot of architects is, is staying very much awake on is to define what is the right architecture to, to become that data-driven company to make sure we do the right choices for our enterprises. Thank you very much. Go ahead, Alan. So, Bob, just, just one last thing, right? So, because yeah. you've mentioned things like change management a few times. And it, I mean, I, I've been involved in, um, you know, these machine learning AI solutions for many, many, many years. And I think, you know, not, not I think, I know that, that, that one of the biggest challenges we always have is the consumability of information, right? So at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is convince someone that there is a piece of cognitive insight Yes. that actually will give them a better outcome, a better conclusion, a better decision, right? And, you know, I, I remember five or five or even like, God, even longer than that, actually working with um, these geologists for an oil and gas company. And we were trying to tell them the fact that using data, using machine learning and artificial intelligence, here's, the, here's, what, the, here's what the system's telling us, where is the best place in the planet to drill for oil? And, you know, you had all this kind of like going back about, do we trust the data? Do we trust the conclusion? Would I make the same conclusion myself? You know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of like change management, which goes into these, you know, these implementations. Because at the end of the day, you know, this, this intelligence actually has a, a business value of zero. 
until someone decides that actually in my day job, in the work that I do every single day, I'm going to consume that and build it into my ways of working, right? So, so you cannot forget the, 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 the important role of change management as we evolve into this era of intelligence, for example, as well. And I think the word evolve is the operative word here, isn't it? Isn't that what mm. we've been talking about? The evolution evolving to cloud, evolving to more intelligence, evolving Absolutely. to a mindset, evolving to sustainability being a priority rather than, damn, look what we have to do now. Uh, the idea of connecting everything to everything and getting rid of silos and understanding where your data is and what you can do with it for the better, for the greater good. Gentlemen, we've got about two and a half minutes left before I need to change. I, I need to close. I got the word change on my mind. So what I'd like to do, I had a topic I want to pull up from Alan, but I think what I'd like to do is let's do a quick crystal ball prediction. One minute each, really, really tight. Alan Coulter, I'll start with you, Alan Coulter at IBM. If we met again, I'm going to make it really short term. One year from today, the end of October 2022, we met again. Would we be able to do part two on this topic and have the same exact discussion statements or would the conversation change would everything be a little bit different a little bit farther along in any particular direction just completely new things to talk about alan yes or no and a once a 160 second statement on why so i i think we would be talking about the same things for the very reason you just mentioned it as well right it's an evolution right and you know we, we've we started this journey a few years ago there is a few years still to go as well right this is a you know, you know I, I've explained to, to even an IBM, right, to, to evolve to this way is like turning a cruise ship around in the Suez Canal, right? It, it's, you know, we have to institutionalize this mindset where we're using, you know, data from in, inside, outside, making intelligent to really fun, fundamentally change the way that we do work, right? And it's, it, it, it's, it's an evolving story, it's a maturing story, and it's permeating everything that we do today with our companies that we work with. Thank you. Christian Tiscard, 60 seconds. Predict yes or no and why. Go ahead. Uh, we will meet again for sure, and I would love to. Um, data-driven economies, data-driven enterprises are approaching fast. And, and, you know, everyday customers are exploring, you know, new ways to use data and, and getting new <clears throat> insights to it. Uh, it, 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 it's, it will happen. It will happen at more scale. It's like you get a little success, you grow the process and you grow it and suddenly you have a, a, a data-driven company um, and, and it will be there. But we, we do have the true natives, the Ubers of the world, the Tesla of the world that grew up being data native. And they set the standard for what all of us have to deliver to, which is to basically have a non-human touch to most of our activities. So you can really order your car, you can order your car taxi, you can order pretty much everything and you have a digital experience. And, and as long as we have people in that process somewhere, we probably haven't gotten as far as we need to. And, and, and I think that's a good standard to aspire to. Would uh, Tesla, would uh, Uber, would Lyft, would Amazon have done it the same way? We have to wrap up, but I have to tell you, I just did a show on the future of self-driving cars, and there is a, an engineer and his team of researchers at Boston University who are helping cars learn how to drive, self-drive, based on the car observing other cars in the area and the pattern of, is there a, one of those five-car turnabout roundabouts like they have when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or what, where are pedestrians crossing the street, or what does a raindrop look like? And people start the algorithms, but the cars are 
literally, Kristen, data-driven. Mm-hmm. The data is driving the car to drive intelligently, and they're at a 92% success rate of cars in virtual models. I had to bring that in, and here you're dropping mm-hmm. the word Tesla on me. I thought that was great. Gentlemen, it has been such a pleasure. I want to thank Aaron Keller, our engineer at Voice America, for getting us on the air and keeping us there. Dana Corder, mm-hmm. always wonderful. Dana, you outdid yourself putting this show together. This was wonderful conversation. Ira Burke, I'm so grateful to you for continuing to sponsor this series years and years and years, and we're looking forward to 2022. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Speaking of cars, my car is still getting a month to the gallon. How's yours doing? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Alan Coulter, wave goodbye. Alan, don't go away. We're going to take pictures at IBM. Just like Christian Tiscard at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. 